Amen. Well, I want to invite you to grab a copy of God's Word and open to the book of Philippians with me. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 5 in just a moment. I I want to make you aware of uh, something. If you're not aware of it, if you're new to Restoration Church, or maybe uh, you're like me and you're prone to forget things, and so this is just a, a good reminder Um, At Restoration Church, we don't just talk about church planting, we're involved in church planting. Um, We have partners that are in other cities uh, seeking to do the Lord's will and uh, plant the churches that he has called them um, to plant in the cities where he has called them to serve. Uh, And so this morning, one of our partners, uh, Jacob uh, and Mackenzie Goebel, are uh, celebrating their first plant anniversary, which I told him earlier this week, I should have copyrighted that word. Um, because that's why they're using that word, because we use that word. Uh, so today is uh, the first plant anniversary of Rooted Community Church, um, and so uh, we just want to celebrate them. I want to pray for them. Um, yeah, you can clap. It's okay. Like, yes. Um, yeah, uh, just I- encourage them, and, and I also want to make you aware um, that the, uh, the Goebel family will be here with us next month. Um, for uh, for a weekend, uh, and so many of you have not had the opportunity to meet even just Jacob and Mackenzie, um, and most of you have not had the opportunity uh, to meet the kids um, that they have welcomed into their home uh, through foster care and are on the road to adoption, um, and so I'm excited for you to meet all of them. I want to pray for them uh, this morning as Jacob uh, stands before his flock and, uh, and opens God's word. Uh, Father God, we love you. Um, God, we're so thankful, um, God, that you have called us, um, God, you've called us to follow you, Lord, to serve you and to be planted right here for your glory. But God, we don't want to be short-sighted and think that we're the only ones that you've called and the only ones that are involved in gospel work. We know that that is happening in other cities, uh, in other states, in other countries around the world this morning. And for that, God, we praise you. We praise you for what you're doing. God, we want to ask a, a special uh, blessing on uh, the Goebel family um, and Rooted Community Church this morning. God, as they're gathering um, and celebrating another week of gospel ministry as you have called them to, um, and God, that they are celebrating the faithfulness of you uh, over this last year as they celebrate one year as a church. Um, God, would you richly bless them? Would you abundantly pour out your grace on them um, that they would be, um, God, that they would be obedient to the call that you have on their lives. God, that we would be obedient to the call that you have on our lives to partner with them and to be involved uh, in encouraging them and uh, spurring them on to deeper gospel ministry. God, we just thank you for all of this and pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Philippians 2 is where we're at this morning. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11, but I want to remind us of the first four verses that we looked at last week, and we um, 
we saw this humility that Paul puts before the Philippians and I think carries across generations to us that we should be humble in Christ and in so doing care for others. Right? The text says to not do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but to consider other interests more important than our own. How do we do that? I think we do need to take that posture. A posture of humility that if you are physically taking a different posture, that you would be on your knees before God asking him, to root out the sin and the pride that is in your heart and that you would be humble before Him in Christ and in so doing, serve others to His glory. Now the text that we have this morning in front of us, Paul puts forward the perfect model of humility. He says this in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is the perfect model of humble servanthood. He's the perfect model, but hear me, Jesus shouldn't just be shrunk down to this is a model of what we should be. Right? He's the perfect model of that. Why? Because he's God. He's God. Paul reminds the Philippians that you need to humble yourself. You need to be humble in Christ. And you need to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing I want us to see this morning is same mind. And I think it's an interesting uh, concept and, and idea to talk about us being the same as God, right? Now, oftentimes what happens is we reverse that and we say God is the same as us. Sounds really similar, right? But did you know that our human minds can only think so far? So if we phrase it in a way that God is like us, rather than us like God, we're bringing him to our level, right? We're we're almost decreasing the value and the godness of who Jesus is and saying, well, he's like us, which is partly true. But he's also different than us. Paul calls the Philippians to have the same mind 
As I was studying this text, I found that the word here that's translated have in a different translation is actually translated to the word adopt. Do you know what adoption is? Adoption is taking something that was previously not yours and making it yours as if it was always yours. Let me say that again. Adoption is taking something that wasn't previously yours and making it yours as if it was always yours. Many of us know people that have adoption in their story, right? I love you, but I'm not going to look at you, okay? Just so you know, okay? Um, Many of us have been touched by adoption. We know people uh, who have adopted. But let, let me just tell you that there's a different level of experience of what adoption is when you look it in the face every day. If you're new to Restoration Church, you may or may not have had the privilege of meeting my kids yet. If you have met my kids, you (laughs) probably won't forget. We have a little guy who we deeply love, who is the fourth Troutling, the youngest Troutling, um, and the only one, if you know us, you'll get this, the only one who really looks like me. You see, Knox is adopted. He's the one that has the best hair in the family, the most muscle definition, and he's three. You see, Knox is black. We have this concept within our culture that we will oftentimes say out of good intentions that we don't see color. But do you know that when you say that you don't see color, it actually minimizes the creativity of who God is? You see, God created people with different pigmentation color on purpose. Knox was previously a part of a different earthly family. He's now a part of our family. You, apart from Christ... We're not a part of the family of God. But when God saved you, he adopted you. He made you his own as if you were always a part of God's family. You see, God doesn't rank us and say, well, this person has been a part of my family longer, so I'll show more favor to them. No, we're equally a part of God's family as he has adopted us and called us sons and daughters so that we can cry out to him and say, Abba, Father. You see, those that are adopted into the family of God yesterday, today, last week, last month, last year, years ago, It's as if you were always a part of God's family. He's made you his own. Knox became a part of our family from day one. We walked into the hospital room five hours after he had been born. I'll never forget this story. Knox 
Knox was <clears throat> brought into a room. And then the nurse came and got Anna and I and walked us to the room and said, this is the room that you guys are going to stay in. And he's in there waiting for you. For the next several hours, we just spent time with him in awe of what God had done and all the things that we had experienced over the past several months in our adoption journey. I'll never forget this part of the story. That evening, we left that room and went to a different floor in the hospital. When the elevator doors opened, we were met with the sound of a voice that we had never heard before that said, oh, there's Eric and Anna. You see, it was Knox's birth mom who then invited us into our room, listen to me, and asked us if she could hold the baby that she had birthed. And she looked at us and she said, what's his name? We said, his name is Knox. And she looked at him in the face and said, Knox, that's your name. And this is your mom and dad. As if he had always been a part of our family. Listen to me. Today may be the day of salvation for you. Today may be the day that God calls you a son or daughter in his family, and it will be as if you were always a part of his family because he cares for his children. Paul says you need to have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. You see, this isn't an impossible task to have the same mind because the same mind is in Christ Jesus. So when you're in Christ, you are to have the same mind that he has. You have to look back at the first four verses. What is this mind that Christ has? Well, it's a, a mind of humility. It's a mindset where there's encouragement, where there's comfort from love, where there's a, a participation in the Spirit's working, where there's affection and sympathy, where there's joy in the family of God. Paul says you need to have that mind among you. That's not a mind that you just decide today, I'm going to have that mindset. Because as we talked about last week, humility is against our natural nature. You see, that mind only comes in Christ Jesus, who, look at verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. You see, having the same mind that is in Christ Jesus means that we experience a similar sacrifice. Now listen to me. 
When I say that we're to experience a similar sacrifice, that doesn't mean that we take the weight and responsibility of other people's sins on us and die in their place. But you have to, you have to understand what's happening here, okay? We're talking about Christ Jesus, the second person in the Trinitarian Godhead. He is the Son of God, and Paul says, though he was in the form of God, that he is God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't take it for granted, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Listen to me. I want you to circle that word emptied. You see, what we're talking about here is what's known as eternal sonship. Eternal sonship. You have to understand that in the Trinitarian Godhead, that there's one God, there's three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus is the second in the Godhead. He is the Son of God. And when we say eternal sonship, it means that he's always been the Son of God. There's other places in the scriptures where it talks about Jesus being in the beginning. That he was there, that all things were created by him, for him, and through him, and in him all things hold together. Jesus has always been there. But Jesus in human form is different. See, Jesus hasn't always been in human form. He was in the same essence, in the form of God as the Father and the Spirit in the beginning. But it tells us, John 1.14, that God became flesh, that he came in human form. The word here that Paul uses in Philippians is the word emptied, that he emptied himself. Now, I had you circle that word emptied. I think we can conceptually understand if we have a pitcher or a glass of something that has liquid in it and you turn it upside down, what happens? The liquid comes out and the container is empty, right? It's empty. Here's the bad theology of this text. Jesus, listen to me, this is, let me say this again. This is the bad theology, okay? These are the things you shouldn't write down, okay? This is the bad theology, that Jesus is like a pitcher, and when he came in human form, he turned himself upside down and emptied himself of his godness. That's bad theology. The text says that he didn't consider his godness a thing to be grasped, that he didn't take it for granted, but he emptied himself. That word emptied means that he restricted himself and he took his deity, his godness, and he sat it aside. Have you ever been in a moment where you know that you can physically do something and you just have to restrain yourself to not do it? 
Like, have you ever been in that moment? Like, I can physically do that thing, but I have to hold myself back because I haven't been asked to do it. I shouldn't do it. Somebody else needs to do it. But, and you're just trying to hold yourself back. Listen, it is far greater for the God who is the Son of God, Jesus, to come here, put on flesh, and restrict himself from accessing his godness. Jesus did not become less God. He put it aside. Why? Because he had to wear the flesh so that it would be a similar sacrifice. See, we're not called to take on the sin of other people and die on the cross like Jesus did. But we are called in a similar way to set things aside. To set things aside. Listen, do you know probably the most common thing that I hear in having gospel conversations with people, the excuse that they use that they don't want to surrender to Jesus and start following him? Do you know what, do you know what the most common thing I hear is? I don't want to stop doing that. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, you have access to the God who created the universe, who says, I love you, who went to the cross and died in your place to pay for your sins so that you wouldn't have to, that he forgives you and adopts you as a son or a daughter into the family of God through his sacrificial blood. And we say, I don't want to stop doing that. We are called to a similar sacrifice, which means that we need to die to ourselves. Our old self needs to go away. It needs to die. The things that we chased after before following Jesus that brought us joy, those are things that we need to be setting aside. Listen, there are so many things that we have access to, right? There are so many things that we can do or not do that isn't a sin if we do them, and it's not a sin if we don't do them. But listen to me. If you can't set those freedoms aside, you're actually controlled by those things. You see, we're called to a similar sacrifice that we need to put those things aside. Listen, there may be things in our life that we need to kill. John Owen, the great Puritan writer, says that you need to kill sin or sin be killing you. You're like, that's terrible English. Well, he was old. You need to kill sin or sin be killing you. See, there are things in our life that we need to intentionally get rid of. We need to kill that thing and we need to run away from it. But there are other things in our lives that God has given us the freedom to experience, right? Things that we can do if we so choose that aren't sinful, but there are times in our lives where God calls us to lay those things aside. We need to sacrifice those things in our lives. And we need to do this. 
take the form of a servant. Jesus, the Son of God, emptied himself. He set his godness aside and he took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He took the lowest position in society. He humbled himself to that role. Listen, some of us need to take that posture this morning. We need to take on the role of servant. I don't know what God's calling you to, what area of your life that you need to sacrifice something in to take that role of a servant. But I believe that if that is what God is calling us to, then we need to be obedient to it as we see Christ do. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, we're called to have the same mind, to have a similar sacrifice, and to have sanctified obedience. You're like, man, there's a lot of big words today. Eternal sonship, Trinitarian God, sanctification. What is sanctification? Let me just boil it down to this. Sanctification is the process of being made like Jesus. Romans tells us that the end goal is being conformed into the image of the Son. That we're to be sanctified. You see, when you start following Jesus, even if you started following Jesus today, he doesn't look at you and say, well, you don't have access to certain things because you're not sanctified enough. That you have access to everything because you're now a child of God, an adopted son or daughter. But that doesn't mean that you're not completely conformed to the image of the Son. You see, now that you're following Jesus, you are in this daily, yearly process of being sanctified and made more like Him. The old law in Leviticus, God called the Levites to be holy as He is holy. Peter used the same language. He quoted that Levitical law in his first epistle. He said, to be holy as God is holy. Listen, you can't be holy apart from Christ. Holiness is in Christ. And it happens by him changing you from the inside out. That you're being sanctified for the rest of your earthly life life. Jesus didn't have to be sanctified as we have to be sanctified because he is God. He was without sin. But it does say that he humbled himself, right? He humbled himself taking the form of a servant and he humbled himself by becoming obedient, that he was submitting to the Father's will. We need to obey the same, right? 
We need to obey the will of God. As God is commanding us to do things, as he's leading us to participate in certain things, as he's calling us to go other places, we need to obey him. And that obedience comes easier and easier as we're being conformed into the image of God. I get it. You start following Jesus yesterday, today, you're like, I don't want to obey that command. That seems really hard, right? You've been following Jesus for five years. You still struggle with obedience, right? You just don't struggle with the same obedience that somebody who started following Jesus yesterday does, right? You've been following Jesus for 20 years. You still struggle with obedience? Yeah. You know why? Because you're not completely conformed to the image of the Son. But He's continuing to change you from the inside out. He's changing the desires of our hearts and giving us His desires, right? He's changing our mind and giving us the same mind that He has. We're continuing to uh, um, sacrifice in similar ways. And we're obeying the commands that He has put in front of us. But don't miss this. Paul says that he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. See, Jesus understood that in submitting to the Father's will, it was going to bring him to death. And he was going to be obedient to that. I don't know what the end is for each of us individually. I don't know what God is calling you to, but we need to be willing to be obedient even unto death. Because, as Paul said in chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That as we're living we should be living for Christ, obeying him and following him wherever he's leading. And if that means risking our lives for the sake of the gospel, we need to do that. Because we need to have surrendered worship in our lives. Verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has given him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That everyone would be completely surrendered to him, the King of Kings. Listen, here's the way I understand it when I read the scriptures. You can respond to the call of God now as he calls you to follow him. Or... You can live this earthly life however you so choose. And when you pass from this earth, you will still bow your knee to the King of Kings. But at that point, 
your eternal destination is set. When I say that, I don't mean that every knee bowing and every tongue confessing means that God is a puppeteer who has all of us on strings and forces us to bow down. You see, the end in every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord is out of recognition that he is who he said he is. You can recognize that now that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the sacrificial Lamb that died on the cross in your place to pay for your sins so that you can have eternal life in Him. You can recognize that now and bow your knees before Him or you can recognize it when it's too late. But do not confuse that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the only one who is worthy of our praise. He is the only one to be worshipped. He is the only, listen to me, He is the only way to salvation. Jesus is our only hope. So what do we do with this? I asked you to circle the word emptied this morning. You've seen a couple times the word humbled. Here's the four words that I want you to take away. Write these down. The first word is this, adopt. You need to adopt the same mind that Christ has. How do you do that? You follow him. You follow Jesus. Maybe you're not following him today. Maybe he's crying out to you. He's calling to you saying, follow me. Follow me. Do that. Adopt the same mind that is in Christ Jesus and follow him today. Here's the second word. Sacrifice. In a moment, we're going to spend some time praying. And I just want you to ask God what it is in your life that you need to sacrifice for him. What is he calling you to give up? What is he calling you to lay down right now? What do you need to sacrifice so that you can uh, follow him more closely? Here's the third word, obey. God has clearly laid out commands to his people. Obey them. Obey them. You say, I don't know the commands of God. Let me give you this one. Hide his word in your heart so that you won't sin against him. Do you know how you hide God's word in your heart? You read his word. You study it. You memorize it. Like How great would it be, church, if you're involved in small groups, at the end of this month, that we could all be able to just recite that text that we looked at this morning without looking at it. Wouldn't that be great? Like to hide God's word in our hearts so that we, we, we wouldn't sin against him. Listen, there are so many more commands 
that we're called to obey. We need to do that and we need to, to search the Scriptures and obey the things that God has put before us. And the fourth word is this, surrender. Surrender. I'm going to ask you to, to do something here that may be, um, may be really awkward for some of us. That's okay. All right. Um, if you have known me for any length of time, you know that I don't really experience awkward moments, right? Um, and so for some of you, you're like, that's why I don't like to hang out with you. Um, I get it. It's fine. It's fine. I've never really met an awkward moment. It's okay. You just kind of embrace it and go with it, right? Okay. So here's how we're going to eliminate some of the awkwardness. I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes, okay? Adults, I'm speaking to you because the kids are going to listen to my instruction. Close your eyes, please. Okay, don't be looking at the people around you. All right, if you haven't already, just, just sit your stuff to the side so that your hands are empty. Right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with you. Now, I ask you not to open your eyes so you don't actually know that I'm doing this with you. So you can watch the video later and you can see like, oh yeah, he really did that. The word is surrender. It's the word surrender. Now, oftentimes when people would surrender, whatever was in their hands would be put down. So without anything in your hands right now, if you so choose, maybe you need to get down on your knees before the Lord. Use your chair as an altar. You can come up here to the front of the stage. And I just want us to take the posture of surrendering. So take your empty hands and just open them with palms up and just say this with me, Lord, I surrender to you. 